0: Hey ho, tutor minded
1: people. I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. We're Tutor Time Machine, and this is episode 54 of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time, it's best to start at episode one. This is a story project, and it goes in order.
0: We're so excited to have listeners from all over the world. It's amazing for us to be sharing our podcast with all of you. And if you're enjoying it, support us.
1: Buy some Tudor Time Machine swag. Go
0: to our Tudor Time Machine Facebook page, hit the Shop Now button, and buy, buy, buy. Get a Do You Tudor tee or a Tudor Time Machine logo sweatshirt and support the podcast.
1: In our last episode, Constance realized her choices are narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. Mm-hmm. And now the question becomes, can she escape? After
0: the reading, we'll have some fun discussing the history beyond our tale and making connections between then and now.
1: Read on, Jesse
0: chapter 54 in which constance rides from one danger to another constance trailed tower as he led her up wood street keeping the horses at a walk hooves a rhythmic clip clop constance felt her breath syncopate against the pace and then begin to rush against it to urge the beasts forward a rider came past them at a trot Constance held steady, eyes ahead. The tower's hand drifted to his sword, but as the figure disappeared they continued their unendurably careful pace. At the end of the street the fortress of Cripplegate stood, guarded, well lit. Men bearing the Howard livery flashed in and out of view as they pranced before the torches. Six men, or four men, or eight. Some were the night watch. It was impossible to tell. Shadows were men to her. She clinched and reclinched the reins in her hands. Pass through the guard at Cripplegate? It could not be done. The torches, the swords and pistols. Dear Heaven, was this to be a trip that lasted not a mile before she was dead? Did the tower intend to try? She would puff out her cheeks, lower her pitch. Some rocks in her mouth might disguise her voice looking down to the ground, to the horse shit and sucking mud of the street. She dismissed the idea. Oh, merciful heaven! The tower veered to the right. He must have changed his mind and was making for another way out of the city. She had a mad desire to scream out, Stop! Charge on! Free, dead, or captured, at least apprehension would end. Instead, she followed. White stockings clopped along a small street, where the houses were tight together, crowded by merchants' stalls. She could barely pass. Here the tower raised to a trot. Emerging near Aldersgate, he dropped back to her. Are you well, my lady? he asked. Galloping horses thundered behind her, but with the patience of the courageous, the tower continued the journey at what he considered the fit speed. Dear God, now branches and clouds were men to her. "'Thy dreadful doom falls fast upon. "'Thy flame of wrath shall on thee fall "'when none thy ruin shall bemoan.' "'None would bemoan her, not Rutland, nor her aunt, "'only Philomena, whom she would never see again. "'Absence, death, t'was all one.' "'Her hair bristled on her head and raised down her spine "'as two men in Howard regalia came about in front of her, "'halting herself and tower.' Tower straightened his hands and loosely held the reins. She took her place just behind him. Who goes there? asked one of the men. An honest servant, the Tower answered. Servant, said the other. Who travels with you? Good sir, a boy, a foreigner. He has no English. Ho, sirrah, whose foreign boy? I know not. My mistress charged me take the boy, and I do as she commands. Too great a fool to ask questions. I am, sir. Let us see him. I cannot be disobedient. Great sirs, may we pass our way? If the boy comes here and we see his face, then you may pass. He cannot. For he must do as I command, and I command him to take shelter and to walk back to the fork in the road. Constance understood and turned her horse to retreat.
2: You horse on tallow catch,
0: shouted one of the guards. Constance whipped around to the dead chime of metal meeting metal. The horses snorted and stomped, bringing up dirt as Tower's sword jammed against the hilt of the guards. "'Magnus, onward!' he commanded, spurring his horse, forcing his weight against the struggling man who jutted off his saddle, cursing. The Howard horse stumbled and fell to the ground, rolling on top of his rider who was screeching and grabbing his leg. Tower's horse jumped the thrashing bodies and, circling, stood ready to attack." Constance watched the tower reclaim himself, shake off the fight. Pounding hooves grabbed her attention. The second man was charging her, his face smeared with anger. He would be on her in a second. She cast about for an action. What step to take? Off the horse. She slid down white stockings, planning to crawl away, but her foot caught in the stirrup. And the horse twisted, stomped, and pawed, trying to be rid of her. Shit was everywhere. She heard the screaming. It was not hers she was occupied avoiding hooves and crying she was fairly sure she was crying her face was wet in any case she concentrated on her foot and pulled freedom rolling she pressed herself to a merchant's stall for protection and looked up trying to locate the reins she had to get white stockings under control thump a groaning a man lay within arm's distance of her blood poured out of one eye stand lady you must stand your legs will hold you, the tower implored. He held the horse's bridle in one hand and with the other he grabbed her wrist and in some impossible way threw her onto the horse. He whacked white stockings, sending the mare off at a gallop. Laying herself against the animal's neck, Constance peered into the night and saw Newgate. She shuddered as she caught the cries of the prisoners held there. The portcullis was down and yet the tower made directly for it. "'Lady, wait here,' he dismounted, leaving his horse untethered. The huge gates trapped her. The endless freedom of the road outside the city wall teased between the bars. Where had the tower gone to? "'He knows you would never run off, Magnus Nassus. He is far too commanding for that.' Constance patted the big horse's withers as she sat on white stockings who seemed to have forgotten that moments before it was trying to stomp the life out of her. Constance could not hold a grudge against the poor mare. It had been a nightmarish moment. The tower returned, making a gesture that Constance guessed meant she should follow on foot. A man stood to the side of the portcullis, bald and barrel-chested, with the yellowed skin of an invalid, a lantern swinging from his three-fingered hand. He bowed a shallow bow. The heavy ring of keys at his waist clinking as he touched his back with a wince. Lady? Either her costume was ineffective, or the tower had revealed her sex.
2: Good sir. I am posthumous Joe. Do not fear me, lady. I am an old friend to the tower. I knew him when he was a wee gnarly lad without a relation in the world.
0: Constance marvelled at the obvious affection posthumous Joe had for her gigantic companion. He unlocked a small door hidden by the great stone surround of the portcullis. No invitation to enter came, so she produced Rutland's purse. "'You
2: shall help us, sir?' "'If they catch you, I do nothing of it. You snuck into my quarters and lifted the rope. I can take the horses through the house, but not you two.' "'My wife has a mouth like a spigot. "'The north window would on the upper story. "'That is the only way. "'Take your chance, if you please.'
0: This seemed a fair bargain. The tower nodded, and posthumous Joe put the coins in his pocket.
2: "'Get you gone now, my chickens,' he gave the
0: tower a fond slap. Constance mounted the stairs behind the tower. Stinky, damp and dark. It was dreadful. Old hay and heavy iron strewn about the floor, a smell beyond all rankness, and screams from the adjacent prison filtered through the walls. She found herself holding her breath against the odor, exhaling and then taking a big breath in her mouth. The smell would end a faint. The paltry compter was a palace compared to this inferno. At the top of the stairs was a tiny hexagonal room with a small window, and beyond it, liberty, loneliness. Had Rutland awoken... Was he dashing about looking for her? Unlikely. She stood at the window, gazing out. The night was deep. The tower was busy at something with the rope, and after a moment of struggle held it up to her. It looked like a noose. What have you there, tower? Good lady, a loop that you shall sit in, and I shall lower you down, and out of the gate will you step through. She did as she was bid, and wiggled it up so that she sat on it as a swing. She climbed onto the window casement and looked down. God's mother, it was a distance. Have you prepared yourself, lady? Did Tower mean she should confess herself? With no priest, God would not accept it. I am ready, Tower. What would you have me do? If you sit here, put your feet on the outside of the building, and push yourself out, I will lower you to the ground. A giggle erupted. Constance laughed a solid minute as the tower stood by looking utterly bewildered and unsure of what to make of her. Collecting herself, Constance said, I am ready. And with that, she began her bumping trip down the wall. She held tight as she saw the spit of prisoners fly from between the bars and was thankful she was not near the grates. Bits of stone flecked off the wall and she blinked her eyes against them. The dust made her nose runny. A clod of dirt from her earlier adventure dislodged from her hair and dropped into her lap. Standing below her, Posthumous Joe grabbed the tail of the rope. Her feet touched the ground, and the bent old man helped her crawl out of her swing. He had brought the horses around as promised.
2: I thank you, Master Posthumous Joe. Lady, the tower shall be coming down. He will land just where you stand. Oh,
0: "'said Constance as she moved out of the way. "'The great form emerged from the window "'and scaled the wall like a large insect.
2: "'The tower was a thimble-fist. "'At twelve he was a fat, angry, wild boar. "'I feared him. "'It is true. "'When my lady innkeeper came to take him, "'I thought we would kill her in the night, "'but all still draw breath. "'I heard the lady's sick.'
0: "'He meant Philomena's mother. "'Constance was sure. "'She is ill.'
2: I would bid you wish her health, but I warrant you shall not cross her path again.
0: Constance admitted, It seems unlikely. The tower held her horse and helped her mount up. Where will you, lad? asked Posthumous Joe. The business is ours, the tower replied. Posthumous Joe chuckled. (laughs) Lad,
2: you are wise. Little known, little said. Clear of the city walls, the
0: tower urged, We must ride quickly, mistress. We came south of our destination, and we must ride northwest to St. Giles. Constance held on as white stockings galloped through Smithfields, trying to keep up with the tower as he turned towards the Barbican. Along Aldersgate, crowds of country folk, making for the city market, swarmed with cows, pigs, carts of pies vegetables, furs, wine casks, and anything and everything that could be sold at market. The sky was brightening, and Constance worried that Charles would be on his way without her. Surely after all this she could not miss him. It would be too unfair. White stockings fell to a walk, trying to sidestep a cart of leeks. Constance's eyes stung with exhaustion. How long had it been since she closed them? Could it really have been yesterday in the poultry compter, when she had had her last fitful hours of sleep? There was the tower, right in front of her. White stockings would follow Magnus Nassus without her guidance. She could close her eyes just for a moment, before meeting Charles and facing the next phase of this dampy journey. How much better she felt, riding along with her lids shut. What relief to end the stinging of her eyeballs. She had been released from prison only this day, and then to the Howards and Rutland, and she let her thoughts drift. She was a little horse running besides white stockings. "'and Rutland had funny hair on his toes. "'And what a big bed the Swedes had at Bedford House.' "'Constance,' a voice said her name quietly. "'I I am awake,' waiting one more minute before dragging her eyelids up. "'There was Charles, smiling, rested. "'Oh, Charles, Charles!' "'He was here, as he said he would be. "'My Constance, you came, you are here.' "'It was so odd.' "'almost as if they truly were lovers about to elope.' "'She dismounted, and so did he. "'He took her tenderly in his arms. "'Dressed even as a boy, your spirit cannot be hid from me. "'It is a clever disguise.' "'She considered Charles would not think it clever "'if he knew how she had come by these weeds. "'You shall ride before me.' "'He looked at her with a longing. "'Strange, he touched his fingers to her arm. "'He was the unlover lover.' Were children and consummated love necessary? If not, he was just her lover, her holy lover. He was trustworthy. He had waited, not run off. I am in your debt, Charles. I seek to serve you and to serve God. Her smile was weak. You are tired through, dear girl. How my heart goes to you, but we must ride for Gravesend, he said as he took his place in the saddle his arms on either side of her as they held the reins. She wanted to rest, to settle back, but she tried to sit straight, to comport herself well. How fair you, dear heart. His voice, coming from just behind her ear as they rode, pleased her. I find my worries have left me, she said. You heard all at the Howard meeting. Oh, Charles, I do not wish to bring harm to any living soul. Not to Lady Lennox in any case. She is a good Catholic. She deserves honor. Charles did not expect her to carry out this plot. She had mistaken him. It was her own lifelong desire for love and family that had made him seem wanting. Yet not every one deserves to walk upon this earth, Charles said. The men at Howard's meeting were not wrong when they laid guilt at the feet of the Cecils. Do not despise the Cecils, my Constance. She did not despise them. She was perhaps afraid of them, but she said, With all my heart. We are so alike. Our England would be served were they to be gone. Well served, oh dear. My sweet, Charles muttered in her ear. The men at Sir William's were well founded in their hope for the Scottish king and queen. I nurse such a wish. So, Constance thought, Charles would save the Countess of Lennox, but leave all others dead at his feet. There
1: was nothing to do but sleep. Constance needs to get out of the city of London, and that is not as easy a task as you might think. And it's not just because London is a maze. No, it's because there's a huge wall that encircles the city. And
0: the wall runs down to the Thames, so leaving the city is not easy... We don't really think of London as a walled city, and of course now it's not, but it was for centuries, and that's why so many people traveled by water, because you could get around the wall more easily. You didn't have to pass through the walls. Constance is trapped in the city, and it's kind of a dire situation. During the 16th century, the wall was at least four meters high, and in front of the wall, there was a wide ditch, so you couldn't get too close to the wall you couldn't just walk right up to it or ride up to
1: it and say let me in by the time of our story the wall is already very very old
0: it was first begun in 100 ce
1: all right very 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 (laughs) so it's very is it 1500 years old at this point
0: And still standing. That's remarkable. And
1: still in constant use. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: just... It's just unbelievable. You had to be able to get out of the city. So the wall had a series of gates to pass through. And the gates were all on roads that crisscrossed the entire country.
1: The Romans had it all figured out. That the gates and the roads would intersect. And they built the wall, they built the gates, and they built the roads. Those Romans, they built everything. (laughs) I know. Roman England, frankly, is also remarkable. London was an important city for trade. And these roads that the Romans built made it easy for farmers to bring harvests and livestock from the countryside. It was very well conceived.
0: Romans get credit for being soldiers. But they were unbelievable surveyors and road planners.
1: And they did it all with this little mechanical tool called the groma. Yes, the groma is the surveyor's
0: tool they used everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but everywhere they conquered. And it's such a
1: simple tool. They carried it with them all over the world to build roads. It just had one two and a half meter long pole that was pointed at one end with metal so that you could shove it into the ground. And essentially there were two other pieces to make a plumb line and a siding point. And then they just had these little marker pegs and that allowed the Romans to lay down straight lines and roads that intersected at at a 90 degree angle. It was not lots of equipment and somehow they were able to build thousands of miles of roads with it.
0: Take that, GPS, with your satellites and handheld devices and all that and all our trash that we were putting into space. GPS is pretty amazing,
1: but it does make you look down rather than Mm -hmm. looking up to the stars, to the mountains, to surveying the land to figure out where you are.
0: Are you judging the modern way of doing things and relying too much on AI instead of knowing where we are most of the time?
1: (sighs) just observing. But it's pretty interesting that the walls and most of the gates that were built in Roman times were the same or maybe slightly modified by the time that Constance would have seen them. She was already in an old city. Yes,
0: it was a very old city. And in the beginning, it wasn't called London. It was called Londinium.
1: They decided they didn't like that last syllable. They dropped it.
0: (laughs) Though some of the main roads, like Oxford Street, are still with us.
1: But even a great city like London
0: had a bad period. The fifth century was bad for London. It was abandoned, but other villages were
1: formed. Nearby, like Chelsea. Yes, and now Chelsea is part of London. By the 800s, London was growing within the city walls. Actually, the
0: 800s was an interesting time in London because that is when the city blocks became
1: popular but that's not because of the Romans.
0: No, not everything is because of the Romans, no. Even though there's not true capitalism at this point, it's a time when a larger number of wealthy merchants were able to buy sections of the city to rent out. Landlords. Landlords. And the city sold them chunks of land. And that became city blocks. Exactly. And it's interesting because I think this is why there's a lot of historians who are sort of going, should we really call this...
1: The Dark Ages. And then, after that famous date, 1066, the Norman period began. Other builders. Yeah. They, they loved to build. They connected London to a new political center, which was Westminster, by what is now a very old road that you can still walk on, mm-hmm. and it's still fantastic, mm-hmm. and it's called the Strand. The city was growing, and by the time we get to
0: 1565, the city has about... 200,000 people living inside
1: the walls. So the wall was about 3.4 kilometers long, or for those people who are still on the old English Mm -hmm. system, two miles long. And in this chapter, they're running for the gates. And if you, podcast listener, were there on that horse instead of Constance, you would not look down at your GPS. (laughs) You would look up and you would see, going clockwise, from Ludgate in the West, Newgate, Cripplegate, Bishopsgate, Aldersgate, and Moorgate.
0: Constance is trying to get out of the city,
1: but the wall around London
0: was mainly for trying to keep people in. The gates had many uses. Well, defense was definitely an important one because keeping people out, and by people we mean sneaky invaders or clans of some type or a regular invasion, if an army attacked, the wall protected the city and soldiers inside could climb up and stand on the top
1: of the wall and shoot arrows and pour oil and all sorts of horrible things. (laughs) As we said, there was a ditch as well for the double defense. If you were a regular person living inside, the walls provided a lot of peace of mind. Although, to be honest, by the end of the War of the Roses which there was a much more peaceful time. And they filled in the ditch by the end of the 16th century.
0: That's true. But there were still situations like we've talked about with our own Sir Thomas Wyatt, the Younger, who led a rebellion from his castle up in Kent, and then he assumed that they were going to open the city walls, that the mayor of London was going to open the city to him. And the mayor didn't. And that was the end of his, of his campaign. It did obviously still protect people and stop people from invading. The fact that they filled in that ditch, it shows that trade was becoming more important than war. The gates served very practical purposes. During the day, you could control access to who was coming and going into the city you could count the people coming and going, and you could see what goods they were carrying, and you could see if maybe you could get a little tax on yes. that,
1: what they were bringing in. That's right. Then is now. There was a toll for going in and out of the gates, and it was a good way for the city to earn income. Besides the main gates, there were also a number of posterns, which were basically access rights for people on foot, but they were also taxed and counted there as well. I mean, they loved their records. Oh, they did.
0: Amazing. Amazing, the kind of records they kept. And in our story, we have Posthumous Joe, but there were actually people like Posthumous Joe who lived in the gatehouse, and they worked for the city, and they opened and closed that gatehouse. And it was actually an important job. And much earlier than our story, in 1374, Chaucer himself lived over the Alders Gate, and he wrote that he had a great view,
1: and he didn't pay rent. So it was a good good job. (laughs) And I think that's because he was a city employee. Well, I guess there is a price to pay, but I'm (laughs) sure he thought it was a pretty good job. Every Londoner, whether they were going in and out or just living in London, they had to pay what was called a mortgage, which was a tax for the upkeep of the walls.
0: Then is now there are garbage collection fees, school tax. City upkeep is expensive. Constance and the tower end up at Newgate, which is both a city gate and a prison. A notorious prison. And she goes through it and it has such an incredible history. It's worth talking about, I think.
1: And it was created from cells within the walls
0: of the walls of London. Somehow being in a prison inside a wall, seems worse than being in a prison in a building.
1: I totally agree.
0: Its use as a prison started very early, in 1188, during the reign of Henry II. Because, of course, at that time, prisoners were held prior to going to trial. And usually, after the trial, they were either found innocent and they were let go, or they had some kind of hideous punishment inflicted on them. (laughs) But the verdict generally didn't include time in prison. I guess it was different if you were a noble like the Countess of Lennox. You were being held in the tower for doing something wrong. They sort of took you out of commission.
1: And robbery, theft, non-payment of debts, they were all crimes that could land you inside. And Newgate had many famous prisoners because... People don't like to pay their debts. No, Ben Johnson and also the historical Casanova were both in Newgate at various times. And Dickens constantly has people being in
0: Newgate for not paying their debts. And it didn't actually close until
1: 1902. I kind of think that's great. What, not to be always tearing down, but using and rehabbing? Yes, I like that. I know that there's almost nothing left of Roman London, and we're always talking about the fires and how they destroyed everything. But I'm happy we still have as much as we do.
0: For sure. But still, I think if I was a prisoner in 1850, <laughs> I'd rather be in a new prison <laughs> that was slightly maybe. Functioned a little better than a medieval prison inside a partly Roman wall. Sounds like the conditions must have been pretty unbelievable. Well, you're right, and I wish we had more—not just in England, but everywhere. You know, it's so interesting to think about how long humans have been trying to figure out this thing of living together. For instance, when Constance escapes the city, she goes on to Smithfield, and. Does she immediately think, wow, Smithfield has such an amazing history?
1: (laughs) No, but all of you out there listening and everybody making Tudor Time Machine, we think those thoughts. Because
0: Smithfield was absolutely a scary
1: place for religious dissenters. Because under our much-discussed bloody monarch, Henry VIII, Catholics, and Protestant, and other denominations that we haven't even talked very much about, like Anabaptist, were sentenced to death there.
0: And even though she wasn't nearly as bloody as her father, or her reputation, or her reputation, Mary I also executed about 50 Protestants there, and they were known as the Marian Martyrs.
1: Mary I did encourage people who didn't want to be Catholic to leave the country. She wasn't just like, I'll just kill you. She was like, no, no. You Please can convert. leave. Or convert. Or convert. She wasn't going to pay their way to leave no. or
0: buy their houses from them. A lot of people did leave and then they came back when Elizabeth was queen. And the same thing. A lot of people left during Edward's reign and they came back when Mary, Mary was, was queen. queen. It's just a lot of change you know, people didn't want to leave their homes in general, but they wanted this new religion. And people, mainly men, who were executed were leaders. They were bringing pressure. She targeted
1: the people who were in power in this movement. Sure. And that's not to justify.
0: No, not at all. But Mary, as a monarch, wanted to be obeyed, particularly in this matter. One of the surprising things about the idea of executing people is that if the monarch who ordered your execution happened to die, fortunately for you, then your execution is stayed, unless for some reason the new monarch
1: wants to pursue a new charge or pursue a new execution. Well, it does give a slightly capricious feel to it. Oh, they died. Now you can live, (laughs) even though you still committed this or that infraction or crime. And that
0: happened on the death of Mary. On the 17th of November, 1558, several Protestant heretics were about to be executed, and a royal herald rides up in a very timely
1: manner and announced that Queen Mary had died. So, under English law, if a death warrant has not been carried out... I won't say executed, then the people under the death warrant were exonerated. Yeah, like, that was it. So these people were saved. And Queen Elizabeth didn't approve the execution, so she freed those Protestants. Though Constance does not want to be in that situation. No. At this moment, she's trying to escape, and Newgate is actually really quite westerly.
0: No, she's definitely not going the fastest way out of the city, because, as the tower suggested to Philomena, the quickest way to get out of the city would be to have taken the water, but the water was also very highly regulated and people were keeping a close watch on who was floating around on the water, so Philomena thinks that's not safe. No, it's too obvious. And the road out of Newgate heads over the River Fleet to Western England, so she and the tower will have to double around to get headed back into the correct direction.
1: So she's on the run. No, they want to make it to Dover. And in modern times, we might think Constance shouldn't need the tower or she shouldn't need Charles. But at this
0: time period, it was absolutely unthinkable for her to consider going on her own. She couldn't fight. She didn't know the way. Possibly she didn't know how to navigate.
1: (laughs) I mean, I assume she didn't know. Uh, Women were not armed. They didn't really have the idea that they should be. She wouldn't feel bad about About herself? No. No,
0: she wouldn't feel like, oh, I'm so incapable. I think it's a little bit as if... Something happens to the pilot of the plane that you're in, and you don't immediately think, oh my God, I should have learned to fly. I mean, you wish that you knew, but it wasn't something that came in your way. She doesn't fault herself for not having taken fencing.
1: No. And the question is, can a person who is so ill-prepared survive? Well, we'll have to wait and see. All right. So join us next time for more of our story and more tutor minded talk.